welcome to the Big Kids Book Club. A podcast about all things fictional, from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Big Kids Book Club. My name is Marcus and I'm your host. And joining me on the show today, we have author of several books for children, including the Crooked Oak series and the brand new Nisha's War. It's Dan Smith. Welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you very much, Marcus. It's nice to be here. Oh, well, thank you for joining us, Dan. Um, As you are brand new to the Big Kids Book Club, we'd like to get to know all of our authors for the first time. So do you want to tell us a little bit about like how you got into writing and a small snippet of your journey up to now? How I got into writing. Uh, gosh, that could be a long story. Yeah, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't always want to be an author. Quite often when I, and I've listened to a few of your podcasts and uh, it's interesting to hear how many authors always wanted to be authors. They always wanted to be writers. At various times when I was growing up, I wanted to be the Lone Ranger, uh, Flash Gordon or Han Solo. Those are the kinds of things I wanted to be. I suppose I liked being in a world of make-believe and that kind of blew wide open in... 1978 when I was seven years old and I saw Star Wars when it first came out and I became obsessed with Star Wars um I think one of the things that was really like a big deal about Star Wars was it it gave us merchandising which nothing had ever really done before and I remember going to the the local sort of department store going to the toy shop and getting some action figures and I became obsessed with Star Wars action figures. I collected tons of them. And I shared a bedroom with my brother, who's two years older than me. And he had this big, um, like a train set on a table. I wasn't interested in trains. I used to sit underneath the table with my Star Wars action figures. I still have some of them. And I used to make up stories and act out the stories with these little characters. And I think that's probably really where it came from. And I, you know, I couldn't get enough of stories. And I watched all the films I could watch. And I didn't read more than I did you know I wasn't the kid who read the most I wasn't the kid who read the least but I did read and books were really important to me and I was pretty lucky I think because we always had a lot of books at home because my parents were readers and so I had a big choice of books to choose from they didn't tell me what I had to read they didn't say you must read this they didn't say you mustn't read that I was allowed to choose what I wanted and you know if I picked up a book that was too old for me or too difficult to read I figured it out pretty quickly and put it down and that's something that taught me was it's okay to put a book down if you're not enjoying it and um yeah I mean it wasn't until I was in my late teens that I started writing my own stories and of course they were very sort of angsty dark um sort of horror stories I was really into Stephen King at the time and um so the first book I ever tried to write I was in my 20s I think and I wrote a uh, book for younger readers which is terrible it's hidden in the bottom drawer where it shall remain yeah just keep that out of the way um but actually my the the first book that I sold and was published was a book written for adults so and I published about three books for adults when I had an idea for a book for younger readers which I wrote and gave to my agent who loved it and that was then published so I kind of for a little while I was publishing adult books adult books, books for adults, and uh, books for younger readers. It, it became a little bit difficult doing both at the same time, actually, because writing for younger readers, there's the sort of the add-ons of school visits and things like that, which are which are great fun. So, yeah, so I haven't written a book for adults for a little while. So that's potted history. 
Yeah, absolutely. But you mentioned actually some of those influences there and as you sort of writing. And I guess the Stephen King can almost sort of make a transition over to the Crooked Oak series. Obviously, started yeah. with the invasion of Crooked Oak. And it has that sort of almost, I think it's been described as a sort of like a, a Stranger's Things sort of esque yeah. story. Yeah, uh, which is great, what, isn't it? Yeah, I nice mean, comparisons, mate. Yeah. Picked up at the right time, like one of the most popular series ever to have your books compared mm. to it. It's like, yes, please. Uh, where did yeah. the series, you know, where did like Pete and Nancy and Chris's uh, story come from? Oh, do you know, I've always loved kind of weird and sort of creepy, scary stuff. One of the things that I loved when I was, uh, I can remember at school, in the school library, they used to get a magazine called The Unexplained. And this would have been the very early 80s. And it was all about, you know, uh, the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot and UFOs and ghost sightings and spontaneous human combustion. That always fascinated me. So I was really into that sort of stuff. Um, I discovered horror films quite young and fell in love with horror films. I watch a lot of horror films even now. I love horror films. Um, And then, of course, I discovered discovered Stephen King in the in the 80s so he was a massive influence and I really remember when I was at school I used to read a series called Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators now I don't know if you've ever heard of this so it was sort of a bit like like a Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew kind of thing but the premise was that Alfred Hitchcock the great director himself would give a case to these three kids who have their sort of clubhouse in an old junkyard and he would give them a case and it would always be some sort of slightly maybe slightly creepy kind of mystery and they would go out and solve it. And I remember being fascinated by those. So maybe that's sort of crept in with, I've got three characters in my stories, but one of the books I wrote for younger readers, which is called Below Zero, is basically it's a science fiction horror film, which is greatly inspired by The Thing, the horror film The Thing. Which, and it's set in the Antarctic on a base where everybody's disappeared and there's something mysterious going on. So Ailsa at Barrington Stoke had obviously read it and enjoyed it and thought that maybe that was a kind of angle for for books for Barrington Stoke. And they asked me if I would come up with an idea and write a story for them. So I came up with Invasion of Crooked Oak, which is uh, sort of inspired by Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which again is like one of my favourite kind of horror stories. And it has that science fiction kind of flavour to it, which is always quite cool. Um, so I wrote that and it, and you know, it, it was quite popular. So they asked me to write a second one, which was The Beast of Harwood Forest. And then another one, The, the Horror of Dunwick Farm. And there might even be another one. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> Absolutely. And obviously the, the brand new one in that series is The Horror of Dunwick Farm. And this sort mm. of takes a, a sort of intrigue. It's a, there's a plane crash. And then after this, there's some weird stuff going on. People acting weird, animals acting weird. Yeah. I wonder, you say like you've got a lot of different inspirations there. Is there a particular movie genre or, or film that you're like, oh, this kind of gave me some some great sort of like inspiration ideas? Yeah, maybe actually there was, there was, there was a film that I had to try and keep away from. So there's a, you might have, might have heard of it, might not. There's a, there was a film that came, it must have been maybe early 90s, I think, called Arachnophobia, which is a sort of slightly comedy horror, which is hard to pull off, that kind of funny, scary thing about a spider infestation. So I had to be careful to keep away from that. But it, I mean, you know, it's you can't help but be influenced by other stories. So, uh, But I think the tricky thing with this was trying to find, so all of the stories, so they're all kind of creepy. They're not funny i don't i don't think they're like sort of funny horror they're like creepy horror hopefully uh, but they've all got that sci-fi twist to them so the difficult thing has always been trying to find 
a believable explanation as to why the things are happening. I didn't want to do that sort of Scooby-Doo, pull the mask off. Oh, it was all, you know, smoke and mirrors. There's very definitely something horrible going on, but it's finding the the believable explanation for it is always the hardest thing. So I've done loads of research and I found out loads of really awful things about bugs and spiders. Oh, <laughs> I was, they often say like, don't look at the the search history, internet search history of authors because yeah. they look absolutely, no. <laughs> absolutely crazy. Uh, yeah. But obviously people have gone crazy for this series. It's been very successful. And as you've hinted, there could potentially be some more in the series. Uh, the Horror of Dunwich Farm is out now from Barrison Stoke uh, you can get your hands on ah, can I just say you you just called it the horror of Dunwich Farm oh they're using oh, interesting I... no but that it was originally called the horror of Dunwich Farm bizarrely and it and it was kind of a little bit of a nod to I don't know if you're familiar with H.P. Lovecraft but oh, yeah. he wrote about a place called Dunwich yeah. and so it was kind of a little nod to that but it, at Barrington Stoke they felt that it would be a difficult word for the readers Dunwich yeah so we went with Dunwick yes yeah, but I, you I, but you you kind of you got it there without even realizing you got it. <laughs> I, I think that's that's a Freudian slip. There's too many games of Call of Cthulhu yeah. just uh, slipping in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Yes, it's the horror of Dunwick Farm is out yeah. right now from Barrington Stoke, and you can continue the Crooked Oak series with that. Uh, but you have been very busy because not only have you released that, you've got a brand new book coming out from Chicken House. Nisha's War. I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit more about yeah. absolutely beautiful book. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, so it's really hard to, I always find it very difficult to pinpoint the exact inspiration for a story. So Nisha's War didn't start as Nisha's War. It was sort of, it was two or three different stories that I'd been thinking about. One idea was about a group of kids being evacuated off to this kind of dark and craggy island off the coast of northeast England, where something dark and unpleasant was going on maybe witches maybe but no, that didn't work and then I had another story that was sort of in a it was almost like a like a fantasy setting about a mysterious creature giving somebody uh, three tasks to perform and that didn't quite work and eventually Nisha's War came out of that um, so the story is about uh, a girl called Nisha who along with her mother, evacuates from Malaya when the Japanese invade in 1942. Uh, her dad is left behind. And this is kind of backstory. So the story actually starts with her arriving in England to go and stay with her maternal, her paternal grandmother, who is this very sort of harsh and cold and not very really nice person who lives on this craggy, harsh, cold, not very really nice island in this craggy, harsh, not very really nice old house. And so everything about it is sort of grey and unpleasant and you know, compared to this colourful, warm, loving life she's had in Malaya, it, you know, it couldn't be more different. She gets to the island and her mother uh, falls ill with malaria and is bedridden. So poor old Nisha is left alone uh, to her own devices. And she's told not to go to the, the weeping tree, which is this old sort of gnarled tree on the cliff uh, with a treehouse in its grasp. Uh, but she keeps seeing this mysterious boy on the island and when she asks she's told there's nobody else on the island but one night she finds herself standing beneath the weeping tree and she meets a boy called twig who tells her that he can make her mother better and that he can watch over her her dad but in order for that to happen she has to find three lost treasures but the rules are that he can't tell her what those treasures are she has to find out what they are and she has to find them and she can't tell anybody about twig this mysterious figure so that's kind of the premise of the story yeah it's beautifully put together because 
you say that you can see now you've mentioned the inspirations, the, the free tasks. You can say like the the sort of like the, the lonely environment, you know, that is Barrow Island. It, it seems that obviously this has been bubbling for a while. And obviously, it just it's sort of amalgamated at the right time where you've sort of taken part of story A and story B and sort of found that they actually work better as a story C. Um, yeah. One of the things I loved about it was the way you also blended the story narrative with these parts of basically this third person narration and then just snippets of what happened in Malaya from Nisha's yeah. point of view with the diary extracts. I just loved how it wasn't like like a, an exposition dump about the, the horrors of trying to leave Malaya and what happened, but you just ended up just like sipping it in with what you called Nisha's truth, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, I love it. So I'm, I really enjoyed talking about this book because it feels like a really special book to me I think I, I felt more emotional writing this book than any other book that I've written I think partly because uh, I, I grew up in the Far East so in my mind the house that Nisha lived in is the house that I lived in uh, and the tree that she sits underneath is the tree you know I sat underneath and the, the banyan tree outside the veranda that's full of ghosts was the banyan tree outside our veranda full of ghosts and actually on the on the French flaps in the book when you open them out some of the pictures are photographs from where I live you know photographs that my mum and dad took and and the ones that are of the sort of craggy northeast coast are photographs that I took because I live on the northeast coast of England so yeah so it feels really special and I wanted I wanted to give some information about Nisha's life in Malaya but not as you say as an info dump I didn't want it to come as you know in a linear way to the story because I felt the story needed to begin with her arriving in England and also the 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 sort of journal it's not really a diary it's a journal the excerpts all feed into the the treasures that she has to find and so they have to be revealed at the right moments for the for the discovery of the treasures to be important I guess and yeah and she calls it her truth because because it's about her truth it's it's not so much to tell us what happened to her well it is to tell us what happened to her but it's but it, it's her t- sort of admitting the truth to herself about what has happened to her if that makes sense hopefully it it does it it does and anyone when you get your hands on this book and you read it you'll understand because the way you sort of tease just a little bit about how she's coming to grips almost with that sort of it's that sort of like survivor's guilt almost like what with what happened and trying to get out and obviously she's still waiting for her dad to come out obviously her mum and her got away on the first ship waiting for dad the unknowing whether he escaped you know I think for herself it then feeds into, like you say, those truths, which so so beautifully sum up this, I guess, the sort of difference between being in this unknown place with these people she doesn't know, even though like Mrs. F is absolutely lovely and treats her very kindly. Yeah. And there is a slow warming of her grandmother. The sort of virtus spares and onitas, courage, hope, and honesty. I was just it, I was love, loved the way that it slowly came together to build up into that ending. And obviously, you, you know. You saw the pieces fall into place. You started to work it out. Was it a trail of the story? Was it something that you came with, I guess, the, the reveal and the free, uh, the free truths or the free, the free clues? Obviously, was Nisha first or was it the sort of truths first and Nisha sort of just became somebody who could find the truths? Or was it Nisha and then you had to come up with like free truths for her? I think I mean it's difficult to answer questions like chicken that. and egg, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. Um, I think I think she came first, really, and I, I mean, I, you know, I carefully planned it and had a 
detailed plan of how it's all going to work, which I haven't always done with my book. Sometimes I just write them off the cuff, but with this one, I carefully planned it because it had to work the right way. And I suppose I, I partly it, the the truth came from her being, you know, so she came first because I need, as a writer, I wanted to really connect with her and sort of feel sorry for her and and for her to have these sort of strange fears and strange concerns that maybe I didn't totally understand. And then then I learned what the truths were, I guess. Maybe it's that way around. It's hard to tell. It's hard to say, really. Well, whether it was that way around or the other one, they just, they come together so perfectly, especially the last, I'd say the last sort of 10 chapters. Just if, if you're like me, me and stayed up till ridiculous o'clock to finish the book, the last couple of chapters just disappear because you just keep mm-hmm. turning. And I love the way the short, ah, oh, the short tra- chapter structure just allow you to read so quickly. And that really helped. Yeah, interesting, actually, because sort of going back to writing the Barrington Stoke books, I think, so when I first wrote a book for Barrington Stoke, they said, oh, just write it how you normally write a book. And I, I listened to your podcast with Emma Carroll, who's done a, who's written a book for them too. And she said the same thing, you know, just write it the same way and we'll then look at it. But having written, you know, a few for them, I, I guess I kind of got a little bit more into the mindset of of the you know, maybe the shorter chapters, the shorter sentences, trying to make things a bit more simple. Because actually, I think sometimes if the writing is more simple, it's more more powerful, isn't it? I mean, it, it doesn't always work that way, but it can really work that way. So I think writing for Barrington Stoke actually helped me with the story as well to sort of tone it down and, and try to make it simple. Yeah. So, but I, yeah, as I say, it feels like a really special story to me. Absolutely. This is a powerful book. I think it's a beautiful one. I am a... I have a very soft spot for historical fiction anyway, but this this is definitely one that if someone asks me about a really good historical fiction, it's going to be definitely going to the top of the recommendations list. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it, it's although it's called Nice's War, it's kind of not really about the war. I mean, it's set during the Second World War, but it's, you know, that's not kind of front and centre. And actually, it wasn't originally called Nice's War. It was called The Weeping Tree, which is a, is a lovely title for it, but I... It doesn't really give much away. It doesn't tell you much about the story, I guess. So we sort of made a decision to to change it. I think it works perfectly. Uh, it's definitely got the premise that it is Nisha, and Nisha is, is has a fight. And in this case, it's the fight for understanding who she is and finding her place in this new sort of like disposition, sort of surrounding she's found herself, slowly coming to terms with everything that's happened. And uh, uh, it's going to be great. It's coming out on the third uh, of February. From yeah. Chicken House. So you don't have to wait long to get your hands on it. But while the 3rd of February is a short while away, the end of this podcast is rapidly getting closer because we've come to the part of the show where we jump into our competition time. Yes, one of you lucky listeners is going to get your hands on a copy of Nisha's War, uh, this beautiful book we've just been talking about. How do you do that? Let me tell you. You want to be heading over to our Twitter. That's at Big Kids Book Club all one long lovely word and there you want to retweet the competition post with the hashtag nisha comp n-i-s-h-a comp nisha's comp and obviously i gave away a little bit earlier of uh, virtuous spes onitas which is the barrow family motto that plays a part in the story but we would love to know what if some of you might even have your own family motto but if you could have your own family motto what would it be now obviously that latin turns into courage hope and honesty you don't have to write it in Latin. You can come up with just normal, plain old English. But if you could have a family motto 
what would it be? Dan, have you got a family motto? And if not, what would you think sum up you, your family in a, in a really inspiring motto? <laughs> oh, that's putting me on the spot. Absolutely, that? yes. Um, oh, I don't know. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst, maybe, something like that. I don't know. I've never had a motto. Uh, I've been to schools with mottos, but no. I think it's, I think it's great. Family mottos. I mean, it's very old school chivalry sort of knights of yore. Yeah. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's cool. What about, what about you? Do you have a I, I think motto? it probably still something like the the Musketeers one with our family because we're all spread out, but we all come together and import oh, stuff. So nice. all for one and one for all. I think we, yeah, would, I like we, we'd, we would pinch that one. I think that's a good one. But you guys... You guys can be a lot more creative, spend a little bit more time than the, the couple of seconds we've been put on the spot to think of them. <laughs> Tell us what your family motto could be with the hashtag Nisha Comp, and you could be in a chance of winning a copy of this fantastic book. How does that sound, Dan? That sounds brilliant to me. And this has been brilliant. Sadly, we are at the end of the show, but I'm not going to let you completely disappear on us until we let our lovely listeners know how they can get in touch with you, find out more about your books. Is there some social media or a website they can go to? I was going to say I'm on everything, but there are so many different social media sites now. So I'm not on everything, but I am on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I have a website and it's so Dan Smith author is Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Downsmithbooks.com is my website. And of course, if you go to my website, you can get onto everything else from there anyway. Fan. Fantastic. Well, that is all I have time for, unfortunately. So, Dan, I'll have to say goodbye to you. Thank you for coming on to the show. Goodbye. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Really good fun. It has. And to you, lovely listeners, remember, you can find out more about our content. You'll be going over to the Twitter anyway, at Big Kids Book Club, to join in that competition. But you can also find out more about our programming, our other author interviews, as well as our midweek reviews. You can also find a heap loads more content at our brand new website. That's Big Kids Book Club. You'll find more content there as well as an entire back catalogue of our podcast so you can find out if you've missed any before. But that's all we have time for. So until next time, listeners, all I have to say is for you to take care, to stay safe, but most importantly, to keep on 